0: Hello and welcome to Conscious Conversations with One Breath Institute, with your hosts, Lisa McNett and Debbie Sherman. Tune in for mind-blowing conversations on how to be more conscious and present in your life.
1: Topics we cover include healing, spirituality, introspective breathwork, astrology, dreams, alternate states of consciousness, and so much more. Hear from us and our interesting guests, make sure to follow and subscribe to easily find us and listen
0: again hello and welcome to another episode of conscious conversations with one breath institute today i'm so excited that we have my old dear friend kelly carpenter with us Kelly, thank you so much for being here.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Yes, it's our pleasure and our honor. So I'm going to share with you Kelly's bio so that we can, yeah, start out with that. Kelly is no stranger to mind, body, and spirit awareness. She first started practicing transcendent meditation at the age of six when her mother took her to learn transcendental meditation and she was recertified at the age of 25. Kelly is now a Chopra Center certified transcendent meditation instructor, conscious relationship, uncoupling, and parenting coach, and conscious connected breathwork facilitator, mentor, and trainer. Kelly is the founder of The Other Side of Average, therapy for the soul, and transformational coach. Her goal is to help conscious families and practitioners learn and master the three most essential tools that help align you with your soul's purpose, your essential nature and the truest expression of yourself, all whilst healing and transcending past resentments, trauma, and stories that have kept you stuck and in pain. It is then that you experience the miracles and fulfillment of life in every moment, especially during life's inevitable obstacles. Kelly's philosophy is not to become your guru or healer, but rather to inspire change, share essential strategies, and hold the space for you to bring light to your darkness and help you to reclaim the power you already have. It is all there within you. You just need space held for you as you learn the proven tools and embody the practices needed for awakening to become realized. And I just want to say that I have experienced Kelly's safe space holding and uh, you know Kelly is somebody who helped me to heal and integrate some really deep childhood trauma traumatic experiences traumas and um, they change it's changed my life they've changed my life so I'm forever in gratitude to you Kelly
2: mm-hmm. Thank you Lisa it's really my pleasure. <laughs>
0: so today we'd like to dive into meditation i mean i just would like to go back to that you're six do you have a recollection of experiencing meditation when you were six when Mm -hmm. your mom brought you
2: yeah absolutely and you know often i premise with my mom wasn't some guru that's not why I practiced meditation. My mom was actually really struggling. Uh, she was struggling with her own mental health, um, going through a messy, manipulative divorce. Basically, she just my mom was a spiritual seeker, but she also really struggled. And um, she went to learn in order for her, you know, to support her own self and took me along as well. So I just meditated because I was told to meditate not because i was asking big life questions or was aware of um or cognitively aware of the things that i needed to work on or transcend or you know heal through i was just told to meditate so i have absolute recollection um of the practice that at that young and the impact that it had i mean like many things we don't realize the impact it had on us until much later, whether that's traumas or really incredibly beautiful practices like that. You know, we we see the impact or really um, become aware of that later. And, you know, I remember some things as a teenager that would repeat that I didn't realize wasn't normal um, in this awareness that I had, but I didn't really understand it until much later in my life.
0: Hmm. Okay. So is there anything more that you'd be willing to say about that?
2: Yeah, for sure. So as a teenager, I used to, there was this phrase I always used to say, um, so, and to, to also, you know, frame this a little bit, I was an only child till I was 14. So right when I was coming into being a teenager, I had a mom who was You know, now pregnant and having her first baby, which anyone who is a parent knows that that's a really big time. Um, And then, because of my mom's struggles through her life with mental health, you know that was even more challenging. So I was a teenager, just wanting to be a teenager, and all of a sudden I was a babysitter and a, you know, I'd always parented my mom anyway. So there was lots of stuff going on in the house to manage and hold and. And that felt challenging, but I had this phrase that I always used to, it just would, you know, come up after witnessing myself in some struggle or some suffering. And it was like, oh, I can only hear myself think for so long and I need to make a change. And what I was aware of was that there might have been events outside of me that sure had an impact, but actually the cause of my suffering was my own inability to integrate it my own inability to meet it and shift the meaning I was given it. And I've had this awareness that my suffering came from inside. Um, I work and mentor under uh, Gabor Mate. And I love one of his quotes that, that he uses and, and um, it's trauma, isn't something that happens to you. It's something that happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you. And I had that awareness as a teenager that it wasn't really so much about what was happening on the outside. It was about this restriction and constriction that I couldn't get past or integrate because I didn't have the support or the tools. And so when I was 19, I went to a counselor on my own accord because I knew I wasn't my story. I had this ability to be connected through the use of meditation to the part of me that was bigger than the story Um, but it didn't mean I knew how to integrate it or to work with it or had support with it. So I went to a counselor on my own accord when I was 19 and in that session going in, like the traditional therapeutic model is we are our story. We're the worst things that ever happened to us. And we are the worst thing we've ever done, but I knew I wasn't that. But when I went in, she couldn't see that I wasn't my story. And I was like, oh, "Like what? You're supposed to be somebody who's gonna help me." And so I actually went for a second appointment, and I was like, "Okay, this is definitely not for me." And that was it. Was so it was really at a very young age that set me on a path of how do we integrate our stories? How do we evolve beyond our stories? How do we become free? from those situations that seem to define us or lock us into certain experiences in life.
0: Thank you so much for sharing all of that, because, you know, I imagine a lot of people and myself included the first time I I saw your bio and, and I heard from you that you started meditating for the first time at six. There might be this image that, oh, she started meditating at six. So her life just must have been like great and perfect mm-hmm. and you know, just very present into introspective the whole time. And 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 so that's not necessarily it's not necessarily true, everybody. <laughs> um, but what I'm really hearing is that you got a jump start so that when you were a teenager and you were having these um I will call them traumas, just to give yeah. them that label. And you did use that word. You were having these these traumas, these experiences. Um, you you were able to come back to this self reflective place and to seek out seek out help. Which you know, at nineteen, seeking out a therapist on your own uh, that's very mature, right? A lot of people might, uh, a lot of teenagers. Might go to drinking or drugs or just not have that awareness to to take um, to take that step back, that self reflection, and and to take action. And so, I just really want to, to yeah, just to highlight that and to acknowledge you for taking mm. that path.
2: Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: And. You know, we're talking about meditation and you also mentioned, you know, how to, that we aren't our stories. We aren't our stories. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned that piece about integrating the negative emotional experiences that we've had. So wherever you, whichever direction you'd like to go with that, uh, I'd love to just hear more.
2: Okay. What comes to mind initially is I work on, you know, um, a combination. I re- I really did a lot of reflection in I I didn't come into this world with this idea of, oh, I'm gonna be a teacher. You know, I knew from a really young age I was here to break cycles. I was to be the change. And then I only became a teacher or started really, you know, working in that capacity um after really diving into this work on such a personal level. And I did a lot of reflection on, you know, based on my life, what I have accomplished, and not in a monetary sense, but even meeting childbirth and having pain-free child, you know, childbirthing experiences and navigating as I did as a child, you know, these traumas and events that, that happened, what really like, was it just that I meditated at six? Was it that I, you know, asking these questions and it's really looking at what I call three conscious practices. And the first one is inquiry, you know, actually learning some radical inquiry to help us reframe the narrative and the meaning that we've attached to certain situations. Um, embodied feeling we all have to learn how to feel again this will, how I use the breath um, whether it's breath work or breath in a different capacity but being able to be in our bodies and and build that um, develop that skill of feeling because when you look at people's lives how many of us were you know it was actually safe to feel you know or how many of us had people around us whose their their emotions weren't safe so most of us, you know, suffering is 100% of the time a disconnect from ourself or the essence of who we are, and an avoidance of pain and vulnerability. Most of us have been taught to run from things that seem vulnerable or painful, and so, you know, that's a skill that we actually have to learn how to do again in a safe way to hold these deep emotions, um, integrate them, process them. And the other is stillness or presence. And so, you know, dropping in from that that place of meditation of silent, you know, connecting to that silence within us that is bigger than our story. you know To me, that deep place of presence and stillness is really just about developing the witness um, so that we can witness what is instead of what we want to see or what we you know have been conditioned to see or you know any number of of things so i really believe in the three tools are essential for that full integration that real conscious healing and support because for most of us what happens you know the the traumas and experiences that Created that restriction, the conditioning, the shutdown in any capacity happened in a relational container. So it heals in a relational container. And, you know, oftentimes I say, I just get to see people until they see themselves. And, you know, it's it's until we can really see that and and develop that witness and that ability to create that container, we truly do need support. We do need to be held in it um you know if we could have done it on our own we would have already <laughs> so you know the conscious support and they use the word conscious very consciously because not all support is equal when you look at my story and then from there it's those three practices that i feel are essential for that full integration and um liberation from our suffering
0: Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to give an opportunity for Debbie's voice. Debbie, do you have any questions?
1: They have not formulated yet. So at this time, no. I'm really enjoying your grounding presence, Kelly, and how you are articulating So I would like to hear more of <laughs> just whatever <laughs> you have to, uh, whatever more you have to say, I know. And I just noticed like an energetic shift in myself. Um, there are questions coming and if there's more to say, or Lisa, if you have some questions more, um, I would love to just continue being a witness
2: at this time. Okay. So Lisa, do you have questions or you just wanted me to maybe
0: talk? (laughs) No, that's okay. I just, I wanted to give Debbie, Debbie the opportunity to, to jump in if she had something burning, but you know, I would like, because we oftentimes get asked what meditation is. Mm -hmm. So if we could just introduce that concept of what is meditation from your Mm -hmm. perspective, that would be great.
2: Great. Yeah. So I talk about, meditation in there's really just three types of meditation there's focused observant and transcendent so focused meditation is where we're focused on one thing for the entire time Uh, that could be we're focused on an audio we're focused on visualization we're focused on a candle Um, You know, even breath, focused on the breath in a particular pattern, in a particular rhythm. Um, Observant is where we're observing what is as it is. So that could be mindfulness practices fall into that. You know, a walking meditation. Um, It even could be, you know, when we're talking in reference to the breath, it could be just observing the breath without manipulation, just the awareness of it. And then transcendent is the use of a mantra. It's a Sanskrit. It's doesn't have a meaning. It's just used for its vibrational qualities. And it's also used simply as a tool. So if we were to think about the way that the mind works, you know, we say something, we associate it with the next thing. And pretty soon, you know, there's this talk about the monkey mind, we don't even know how we got onto this thought way over here. You know, if we actually have awareness, we can follow it back. It's like, Oh, yeah, I got there because of here, you know. Um, And so because we have given so much emphasis, and so much rain to the mind, it uses us instead of us using it. So in a transcendent practice, it's really using the mind in just the right way to go beyond the mind and tap into that silent space that exists when within all of us to really, and it's, and it's, there's this little teeny fraction of a space where most people, they don't even know that there's any space there between the thoughts. But when we drop into the practice, um, we start creating space between the thoughts, which is the access to the soul, to The essence of who we are our true self whatever that whatever terminology you want to call it but we that's where we find the thinker of the thoughts the part that can witness like i did as a as a teenager being able to witness um that i wasn't these things that i wasn't the thoughts i wasn't the experiences and so one of the differences about and and i use all practices i've used all practices um i really believe in just from my own experience of transcendent meditation and and transcendent meditation that would be tm psm um, vedic mantra meditation they would all fall into that category of transcendent meditation they all have that that vedic you know sound that's not an english word um and how i would you know describe transcendent meditation to me it's the the most um integrative of mind body soul that that deep place of of awareness and with focused and observant is so we start with the practice and we end with the practice so if we start focused on our breath we're and focused on our breath if we start a walking meditation we end with that walking mindfulness meditation um, with transcendent part of the the word is not only the transcendental consciousness but the we start with the practice but we transcend the practice. So we start focused on the med- mantra but we transcend that So that's about the three categories. And one of the things I say you know really about meditation is we don't meditate for, the experience in meditation, we meditate for the other 23 hours of our day, where we're experiencing more flow, where we have more intuition, we're responding more than we're reacting, where we're just bringing in more awareness. So it's less about the experience, you know, in my, in my courses, and my, my teachings, there's a, um, a quote of mine that I always say, and I always like, it's like, pretty much over an eight-week course, I'm saying it every single class and even threatening to test them on it. But um, we can't avoid that which we seek when we implement the practice. So the things that we really desire in life, if we're more aligned to that true essence of who we are, our soul, that deep calling, we're going to naturally move in that direction. So we can't avoid what we truly desire, not what we want most, but what we really want if we're implementing the practice. So the the actual miracle is in the ability to implement it, the discipline, the ritual, the habit that we create to practice.
0: yeah amazing okay so how does somebody do that right like (laughs) you know (laughs) How does somebody do that? That is that really is the key, and that is the hardest part, right? And we hear it all the time ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't just sit down and meditate, and and so I do. Oftentimes, I encourage people, you know, take a moving meditation. You know, just mm-hmm. be be present with the the feeling of your feet on the ground as you're walking, and the way the air smells, and the way that you know, just be present in the shower, and that's oftentimes, you know, my entryway for. For people, but of course, your work is very different. And um, and so, what would you say to somebody for for how to get them to implement that discipline?
2: Yeah, and it's a really great question, and it's actually why part of that that whole inquiry process I was speaking to you a little bit ago about, you know, how and why have I been able to meet life and all of its challenges in the capacity I have to integrate. And I used to do breath work over here and do, you know, therapy and letting go and, um, you know, forgiveness work over here and meditation over here. And I would find that in teaching meditation, there, you know, that there's always what I consider actually a quite large percentage of the people who don't meditate. They learn it. They know that they want it. It's like their soul knows it's a path, the path to, you know, finding more presence, uh, but they don't implement it. And that was part of how I, you know, shifted all of the work that I do to really being about the three conscious practices. Because I I, I kind of talk about the, the reasons people don't meditate. It's either that they think that their mind is too busy, you know, oh, my monkey mind, I can't sit still. I hear that all the time. I don't have time to practice my days twofold. And there's that old quote, you know, if you don't have time to meditate for an hour, you actually need to meditate for two. <laughs> um, uh, it's that they believe it's religious in some capacity. And really it's just actually, if we're dropping into that deepest place within whatever faith that is, is going to expand. So it's, you know, it's, it's, expands whatever is within. Um, And, um, the other is, was really why I combined everything and, and extended the amount of time that I work with people is because of the ways in which we've lived our life, we are defined by our story. And that part of us that's defined by the story and the conditioning and the wounds, we live our life through that. And, You know, there's that analogy of the mind, you know, 10%, um, you know, in reference to um, an iceberg, 10% on the surface, 90% under. So I talk a lot about um, bringing the unconscious conscious. So yes, you know, if there's 10% conscious and 90% unconscious, those unconscious patterns and wounds and attachments and conditionings are going to direct our life and that part of us you know we can even call it our ego has is rooted in that belief in separation you know in the wound and so it will draw us into <laughs> habits and behaviors and situations that are away from what we want most and more about what we want in the moment and so when we work on bringing the unconscious conscious that actually starts changing so we become conscious choice makers if there's not 90 percent under and only 10 percent above we become conscious choice makers are you know there's um it's kind of a hard one to swallow for most but our life is our litmus test you know some people especially on a spiritual path it's like this isn't what i want and yet you know life keeps happening in this way And the reality is we get exactly what our unconscious self wants. So it's a hard one to swallow for most, but all we have to do is look at our life and what is happening. And we get a sneak peek into what's happening in our unconscious self. So when we, you know, work with all of those practices they're not only developing the witness, the stillness, but as we begin to inquire and reframe and work on the story and understand it in a different way and look at beliefs and we begin to feel, cause we can't heal what we aren't willing to feel, we start bringing more of the unconscious conscious. And then that practice, that really that original question, the how do I implement this? Um, you know, we can, if, if everyone could just drop into a practice of meditation, every day and we were all aligned to our soul think of and that deepest calling and sense of self think of how the world would be really only you know in one sense all we need is meditation right but we actually don't because we have too many years of stress and trauma and conditioning that need to be unraveled in the process
0: yes and just highlighting that piece uh because i really appreciated that you recognize when you were a teenager. I am not my stories, and then you. also identify that most people are living from their stories, um, mm-hmm. and it, and it really is that conscious versus unconscious piece. And and yes, unfortunately, sometimes in the most spiritual uh, circles, there can be the least amount of actual consciousness with regards to that reflection of i'm actually creating mm-hmm. my life yeah so thank you for yeah. bringing that in <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and you said that you um you work with people over kind of a period of time and you bring in you know the, these three ways of working with them so that they are, they're learning to drop into that stillness and that connection. They're also reframing their stories and, um, yeah, reframing their stories. And then they're also just integrating and healing. So mm-hmm. would you share with us a little bit more about what working with you, who do you work with and how, you know, what does that look like?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a number of ways I work one-on-one with people. It's what I call therapy for the soul. Um, The very process-based. So after 19, you know, 26 or so, I started working deep in process work. You know, it was actually the first place I learned about tetany. You know, tetany isn't just a breathwork thing. Um, So tetany, the shaking, that, you know, all of that is just in that deep work through the stories and the traumas and what i call process work and so um i work and i still actually work with a mentor that i've had for you know over 25 years and um i lost where i was going to go with that so yeah, so it, that that particular course was 750 hours in 10 months. So really in-depth, um, in incredibly deep. And then I started mentoring in his program. So a lot of what I do is really rooted from that time. In my life, when I work with people one-on-one, and then of course I have trainings and compassion inquiry and different, you know, stuff that I've I've done over the years. But really, it's rooted from that time in my life. So I work one-on-one with people in that what I call process work, and it actually brings in all aspects of that full integration within a session. And it's really because of my experience of you know, when I said, when I I get to see people until they can see themselves is that I absolutely trust the wholeness and the wisdom in everyone's bodies. And I trust the pain. So there's no amount of painful experience that we can't visit without an integration of that experience, all at the same time, because of that level of, of trust that, That's just inherently who we are and, you know, the wound is where the light enters you as Remy would say, you know, there's a deep purpose and beautiful aspect to what we call as dark or shadowy aspects of self. And then I also have a course that I teach that's called Become Unapologetically You. And that's where we really, the the foundational piece is the transcendent um, meditation. So people receive their mantra, we meditate together. But every single session for the eight weeks, we're doing inquiry work. We're working on um, the feeling and we take a look at it from just what I call the TASA method, which is my method um and really it's the cause of suffering and the answer to it and then it's looking at the physiology of stress and trauma so the physical aspects and these conscious practices being the antidote to that we look at the psychology of trauma you know all the different um types the um um symptoms you know we look at the psychology of that and these conscious how and why the conscious practices you know help unwind and unravel that and then we look at the spiritual aspects we go through the higher states of consciousness and the qualities of experience of uh, that come with that ability to witness and which is essentially they all have a little bit of a different um quality of experience but that's essentially what It is that witnessing awareness that gets developed through um, those states of consciousness. And then we take it into the relational. We look at the cycles of relationship. Um, So at first it's all about self, and then we take it into the relational and look at the cycles of relationships um, and the patterns that we fall into and how um, the three conscious practices help us step out of that cycle and into conscious relationship conscious parenting, conscious and my passion, my absolute passion I mean I don't I work with teenagers directly who are ready to you know who are doing this because they want to not just because their parents are telling them to, but actually are are um, interested in doing the work. Um, so I do work with teenagers directly but ultimately everything that I do is for the children. It's the next generations that I really believe in breaking the cycle. And there's no bad client. There's no difficult children. You know, it's really just the experiences that they've had. And then as facilitators or practitioners, our ability to really see them and meet the need that is showing up and supporting them with the tools to redefine that, to reframe it to evolve beyond it but it's really ultimately the work I do is for the children and so my passion is really families I mean when I get to work well we're partners I have partners that go through the course or families right now I'm working with a family of five that's going you know the three of them are going through the course and it's I mean it's miraculous just children are amazing in their ability to meet this work and they need the space held and um the support you know from parents that are also doing the work whether we like it or not um as as i mentioned gabor mate working um you know directly with him and he says if you're worried whether you fucked up your children don't worry you have (laughs) You know, it's just, you know, whether we like it or not, we pass on our conscious and our unconscious stuff to our children. And so, you know, bringing for us working on bringing that unconscious conscious um, and the impact that that has on our children and then being able to support them. So I was a teenager with even just a fraction of the tools and how it helped me navigate being a teenager and I have raised three teenagers with these practices. And I've just seen how impactful it is to step into being an, an adult with tools to support life because it doesn't matter whether you've meditated for 45 years, <laughs> life still happens. And it's really about our ability to meet it.
0: Yeah, and I was just having images and thoughts come up as you were speaking. And Debbie's a new mom, and so we some not a new new mom, but she has a toddler. And uh, so I'm sure Debbie has some thoughts and questions. But I was just getting this image of the way to the children is through the parents, yes. and um, you know that parent with a young baby who. You know, might be a a perceived handful, right? Like, might have some postpartum depression, and just, you know, there's this baby crying and trying to communicate its needs. And when they get to that two, three year old, you know, place. And so, so yeah, that's the image that I'm having of just, you know, that person, you know, if they find you or you find them in that place, it can change. It can shift yes. so much about that dynamic.
2: Imagine a world where mothers were held. You know, if we look at in this way and with these tools and in this safe, sacred container, you know, if we look at <clears throat> developmental trauma and that understanding that even as as mothers, you know, or our children regulate their nervous system based off of us. And so... And we weren't meant to be mothers in the capacity that Western society has us being mothers. You know, the idea that it takes a village is really true. It's just that we don't have that village in today's um, experience of life. And, you know, you can just imagine the what world we would live in if mothers were held in this way. Because when you look at generational trauma and the regulation of nervous systems, you work with the mother, you work with generations to come.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Kelly, for sharing. And for those listening, this is the first time that I've had the opportunity to meet Kelly. So much of my presence today was being witness and getting to know you and, um, and feeling into, yeah, your grounding and firm and true love that you have to offer. It feels very pure and um, limitless. So Mm -hmm. I just want to speak to that. And yeah, generational trauma was really coming through and um, breaking cycles. And what I really, I mean, I have heard and experienced so much of what you shared. And I reflect, yes, in agreement of, so much of what you shared. And I appreciate your intentional steps and having the um, knowledge to appease like the mind for when someone's like, well, what about this? And you're like, well, here's this perspective, and then ease it through. But really, what I've gathered in your offerings, is that you really do help people see that life has choices that people have choices, and that we can arrive to a place Of more choices, no matter how limiting we may feel or, um, yeah, just the labels, right, the labels that we may put upon ourselves unconsciously or even consciously, whether we took it from, yeah, the condition in which we were brought up in, or we pull it in ourselves and label ourselves, right, we always have more choices. And just by listening to you is really what I just gathering your, your gifts, your offerings of holding space really helps people provide inner solutions, inner choices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, and you can take it any way. Because every time we connect to that stillness point that you spoke of, right, that The moments in between the thoughts and the more we get familiar with it, the more it becomes routine, the more it becomes habitual, the more it becomes so part of us, it's just deeply ingrained in every aspect. The more we can experience life from an observation lens. Mm -hmm. And again, not attaching to the story that we're experiencing, but be in reflection. How, How do I want to shift and change that isn't aligned with my truest essence or soul, or again, using your language. However, others want to connect to that, right? The deepening yeah. of self and allow that to be the guide. So coming all back. Wow. I'm so happy I met you <laughs> in, this, <laughs> in this presence mm-hmm. and today. um I like knew immediately too when I when uh, when we were taking a couple of breaths before arriving to the official podcast, I was like, whoa, here we go. Here <laughs> is another powerful uh lighthouse, powerful mm. um, yeah, in my there we go. My internet dropped out. Uh, but in my imagination, it it's um yeah, a lighthouse or a bonfire flame. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another bonfire flame where other people can feel and come around and decide to get closer if they'd like to, or or just be in presence. Mm-hmm. So with my metaphor, I hope, I trust that you're receiving that. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful for connecting with you today.
2: Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thank you both for doing what you're doing and for inviting me onto the Podcast. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Hmm. (sighs) Absolutely,
0: Kelly. And yeah, just being mindful of your time. So we will be posting below your all your details, but um you can find Kelly at the other side of Average. The other side of Average. I've always loved that.
2: name and and just to kind of wrap up with that the the reason I called it the other side of average is because I was just so average you know I had an average experience of life in the traumas and the situations and the the dynamics um and yet approaching them on the other side of average in a different way and that was that self reflection, you know, in that journey of more becoming a, a teacher or a space holder or a um, is what, you know, how do you meet the normal experiences of life, but again, not get defined by them, which is the average. So, I was so average. <laughs> In, you know in all the ways and and approaching it on the other side of average.
0: <laughs> Perfect, beautiful. Yeah. Well, that is such a beautiful way to close. And is there anything else that you'd like to leave everyone with? Any final mm-hmm. comments or piece of wisdom?
2: Um, you know, really pulling off of something that Debbie said is that um She said something about solutions or choices and the answer always exists simultaneously as the challenge or the problem. It's just that we're usually looking through the lens of the problem and not aware of the answer. So the answer lives within and with those three conscious practices. Um, The answer can be brought to that conscious awareness so the answers you seek are within you
1: <laughs> yep they sure are because we are whole
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah cool well kelly i have questions now and i look forward to meeting you again hopefully we can have you again on a podcast and do and have those questions. Uh, be spoken to at that time
2: wonderful yeah I look forward to it Mm -hmm. thank you both so much yeah I really yeah acknowledge you both and the work that you're doing as well
0: (laughs) well I will receive that I just want to give you praise and thanks and acknowledgement but I will receive your acknowledgement as well because it means so much to me coming from you
2: Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, let's take a let's take one conscious breath together, and we'll close out. Yeah. Perfect.
1: If you're hearing this message, you've listened to this episode all the way to the end. And for that, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts.
0: We want to hear from you. Reach out and let us know what you thought of this podcast. And please like, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends.